All right. How's everyone doing today? Thank you. I appreciate all the answers. Um, so I am sad to say that we uh, moved on and away from our Fruit of the Spirit series. Supernatural, as we called it. It's funny. We called it Supernatural, but like towards the end, I just started calling it the Fruit of the Spirit message. Um, I'm, I'm sad to see it go, but I'm excited to go into newer, bigger, and better things. I'm just kidding. You can't go bigger and better than the fruit of the Spirit. That's the point, right? Um, but I am excited to talk and to continue on with what I believe God is speaking into this church and all those good things. I've got a couple things to point out about today's service that I really enjoyed. One, um, I enjoyed uh, the person doing tithe comparing God to a wet wipe. That was exciting. Uh, that, that won't preach, but, <laughs> but, but I got what he was saying. God is, is a wet wipe. <laughs> All right, but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so don't quote it, but if you get it, take the, the message, because he did wipe away all of your sins. All the curse of the law and all the curse of your sins just wiped away. But it wasn't 99.9% of the germs cleaned. It was, it was all 100%. Um, <laughs> um, but before we kind of jump into the message and jump into everything God is doing, uh, I want to pray with the Hanoians. Uh, so if you guys can put your hand that way. Um, they are about to take a trip on their favorite rocket ship. Now, they're leaving about right now. Uh, and uh, a friend of theirs, who Aaron called his uncle, um, passed away. And they're going out to the funeral. And he was like, is it okay if I leave after worship and I was like bro you didn't have to come today like you could have drove and we would have figured it out that's that's uh that's a lot and so we're gonna pray for him and then um also to not put people on blast but a, a few other people in this room have lost someone this week and so I'm gonna pray for you guys but then I'm also gonna just in general hit all of that and by me of course I mean Elder John's gonna do it so I'm just gonna have him like he's on the intercessory team it's what they do it's what they live for Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we just come before your throne of grace and mercy, dear Lord. Dear Lord, we just ask, Father, that you will just uh, bless their travels, Father, safe traveling, dear Lord. And dear Lord, I pray that you will uh, use Aaron and the Hanoian family, Father, when they go for this service, Father, that they will be bring the light with them, Father. Dear Lord, that they will be able to encourage, Father. And dear Lord, we know that you are the burden bearer, Father. So dear Lord, we hold everyone, the family who are in bereavement today, Father. We hold them before your throne, dear Lord, asking that you will just touch everyone, Father. And dear Lord, we thank you, Father. We just thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy that endures forever, dear Lord. And dear Lord, for whoever is in this house who has lost someone Father, we pray that you will also bless the family, Father. Dear Lord, bear, just help bear the burdens, Father, in this time of bereavement, dear Lord. And dear Lord, we just thank you, Father. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Isaac, you brought the wipes up. Did you actually wipe it? Oh, that's funny. I didn't even notice. I was watching for it, too. Um, we love you guys very much. Um, Church that prays together stays together. Am I right? <laughs> Same with families and relationships and friendships and all of that good stuff. Uh, I feel 
kind of somber today. Um, I hope that you guys are willing to go on this somber adventure with me. Um, we're going to be preaching, starting a series for, well, it was intended to be three weeks, but we'll see what happens. Um, three weeks, I want to talk on stillness. Um, I feel like in the middle of the Fruit of the Spirit series, sorry, the Supernatural series, um, just right in the middle of that, um, we paused for three or four weeks. And that whole time, I I really felt that God was just speaking on being still. I think next year is going to be a big year. I think next year we're really going to push in on the topic of evangelism. I've pulled back on it a little bit uh, so that we could find our footing and find our ground. Um, but I do fully intend on running in and tackling that topic next year. But, but for the rest of this year, I, I'm, I'm not looking for the church to grow and to expand. And, and I think some of us get excited sometimes, but we need to invite people. And you should invite people because you want them to partake. But uh, know that I'm not really pushing hard on the topic right now because I want us, the 50 of us that show up every Sunday, uh, I want uh, us to find a foundation um, one that's lasting and not, not sand that you see that as people step, things begin to fall apart, uh, but something that will last. Um, this church has been through many shifts and many turns, and this church has been three churches total, and that's hilarious. And um, like in a real sad way, like it's funny at a distance. Um, there's, a, there's a lot that's happened in this room, and many of you have been here through just about all of it. Um, And I think what I've always seen in this particular movement, in this particular room, is shouting from the rooftops, we've got to go change the city. Um, But we just don't have it in us to do it. And I think that's a byproduct of maybe how we've treated God. Um, I think that as a whole, not just our church, many churches, because I've been to many of them, we treat God as, um, as an experience. We treat God as as a moment where we're going to shake things up and we're going to get emotional and then we're going to go back and live our lives like normal. Maybe we'll stay good for two or three days, but really it's just because we're riding off of fumes of a relationship, not a relationship, of an experience. And eventually those fumes die down. Um, I was recently playing a video game. Yes, I was recently playing a video game. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched a TV show, had, had, went to a concert, Uh, played a game, just anything that totally engrossed you. And then when the experience is done, there's a weird just depression (laughs) that sits over you. And you're like, I didn't want this. I didn't want this to end. Um, And it's because there's just some kind of weird emotional high that comes through moments and experiences. And then all that's left after the moment and the experience is, who am I really? You know, and so if I was feeling a hole with some entertainment, when the entertainment's over, all that's left is a hole because I'm not distracting the hole anymore, you know? And I had that. I beat a video game. Um, you know, my wife, I bought a game, and I was about to have a, a kid. Had him. He made it. He's good. Slept all through worship. I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. Uh, just napped right clean through it. Um, but so she's like, yeah, play the game. Have fun. Enjoy it because you're going to have a kid and you're going to be busy. Joke's on her. I played video games yesterday, too. Um, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, when it ended, I was just like, I'm sad. 
It was the weirdest thing because I was sad and it was like, okay, come on, adult. It, that was a video game. But like, I feel like many of us can, can feel that, maybe not with a video game, but some kind of experience. And once it settles, there's a weird sadness that's left. Um, I think that's the importance of stillness because if we go across the Bible, we're going to see that God speaks predominantly through stillness. Um, in the Old Testament, you'll see these big booms and these big bams and these big explosions, and that's what they write about. And then they'll have one sentence. But if you read the sentence, that sentence said, and then 40 years passed. And so then God didn't move again in a crazy way for 40 years. And so what did the people do? Usually fell apart. Because in the stillness, it's just you and God. And is my relationship with God real or it wasn't an experience that was only going to last me as long as the high of the experience lasted. And that's what I think God began to talk to our church about, right in the middle of a supernatural series, because, right, um, fruit doesn't grow very well in a storm. It grows really well when it's cultivated for long seasons of time. Um, You need three things to plant a seed and cause it to grow well. Um, you need seed. Mind-blowing. You need good soil. What's the Bible actually calls that? Your heart. Uh, but actually, a thing that people don't know, that there are certain types of oranges that can't grow in Florida. Because the atmosphere isn't conducive for the growth. And so Florida in some areas has the right seed, and has the right soil, but because it's in the wrong atmosphere, nothing can grow. And, and so not only do we need the word of God, and not only do we need to be ready to receive the word of God, you'll never grow past a deep relationship with God unless you create a life that has an atmosphere where things can actually grow. And, and a Sunday service is perfect for that, but it's not good for that if this is the only time you worship this week. And, and when we pray, it's really awesome to come together and pray together. But it's not good if you only prayed today and maybe tomorrow because you, you feel convicted today. And so with stillness, I'm going to try real hard not to get excited and flashy because I do that sometimes because I, I like telling stories. It's fun. Um, but what I really want us to settle on for the next three to four weeks is how real is my relationship with God the Father? I had a conversation this morning, not to put this person on blast, so I won't use their name, but I sat down with them. And that was kind of the content of the conversation we had, was, you're amazing, you're great, people love you. But anytime one little, you do something wrong, right? Not something bad happens to this person, this person's amazing, but when they do something a little off, they'll beat themselves down and fall apart. And so what I said was, We can preach all day that we believe Jesus loves us. But in our heart, a lot of us don't really believe that. Because the second we do something small, we think now suddenly it's a works-based religion and I must not be good with God and God must be mad at me. But that was never the God we served. If you go to the Old Testament, you see covenant after covenant after covenant. And God is making covenants. And here's the rule with covenant. There's three rules to covenant. One, God's promise And if, as in God will do this, if you do that, and then a seal. 
God would seal it with something, some kind of movement, some kind of promise, some kind of something that would seal the covenant. But the problem is these covenants kept falling apart, not because God didn't keep up his end, but because man couldn't keep up theirs. And that's the concept of the law in a nutshell. It's this covenant. God says, I will bless you if. And then we go to the New Testament. And God says, I'm going to bless you anyway. The only if is, do you know my son and do you believe he's your Lord and Savior? There's no action. There's no work. There's nothing you have to do to be loved by God. You just are. And for the record, God so loved the world. He loved everyone. But the handful that accept him get to walk in the fullness of his love and actually get to experience it unto, unto eternity. But then we, 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 we interact with God. We have these amazing moments with God. And what quickly begins to shift into our lives is this concept of, well, I messed up. And so God must be. Now he's going to hold back. Now he's going to, you know, this is going wrong in my life. And the counseling is, is, oh, have you been sinning recently? And it's like, wait, let's backpedal. God loves me. God is preparing me. God is building me. This isn't Old Testament anymore. It's not you're loved by God if, it's you're loved by God because, right? And the because is Jesus. And and so there's no sin you get to do that makes Jesus' sacrifice less. And when the Bible says that God took the fullness of his wrath out on his son, that actually translates to there's no wrath left for you. Did you know that God actually can't be wrathful towards you anymore? Because that that would compromise the concept of wrath towards his son. And that implies that I did something so bad the blood of Jesus couldn't cover it. And that doesn't exist. That's not a real thing. And that's not how God interacts with us. Meaning, if Jesus Christ really is your Lord and Savior, you're good. And it's from the goodness that we want to do things. And and so I actually want to jump to the Old Testament for how we're going to talk about this series. And um, stillness... Trusting through stillness. Um, many of us at least have heard of the story, even if you didn't grow up in church, it's kind of a, a famous story of, of, of the Israelites taking the promised land. Actually, the reason why it's still relevant is because people are actually still fighting over the promised land today. Uh, so it's actually still really relevant. Uh, we recently, not recently, a couple of years ago, I think, where Trump moved um, the embassy to, that, was, that was a huge statement, right? And that, that statement, what, if, whether you agreed or disagreed with it, that statement actually traces us all the way back to this point in history we're going to talk about today where a group of men and, and women were taking a land. And, and what's interesting about it is if you look before they go into the promised land, it's war, it's death, and it's destruction, And then if you look after they walk into the promised land, there's war and there's death and there's destruction. But there's a moment in between that where everything just goes still. And God just talks to his people. And what he does is he teaches them in this time three principles I think are are important to the concept of stillness. And you'll notice Israel failed and God would come in if they failed one of these topics of stillness. And so just to come out the gate and let you know, it's faith, it's testimony, and it's vulnerability. 
And so if people stopped having faith in God, there would be a removal of God from them. Or if people began to forget the goodness of God, God would move away. And then lastly, if people started getting so thick, they had to do everything on their own. They weren't vulnerable any longer. God would move away and teach them that they had to use him. But, but he really breaks this down right before they enter the promised land. Moses passes away and, and he dies. And they call Joshua. The thing about Joshua is that Joshua is going to lead in a way that Moses never could. Right? So, so God takes the promised land and tells Moses, you're not going in. And what you'll see that's interesting is if you look at how God treated Moses, what God would treat Moses as is basically this. You are going to represent me to the people. And so you'll see that when Israel would go to war, Moses wouldn't go to war. He would be above on a mountain. And Israel would be warring, and they would be winning as long as Moses' hand was extended out. Because when we go to war, we don't really fight. Really what happens is God is above us, and if his hand is extended out over us, we'll always succeed. And so the Bible shows a lesson, though, because Moses wasn't God, that Moses would grow tired and his arms would fall, and that Israel would begin to lose, that Joshua would begin to lose. And then the people would come and raise his hands for him. And then as he began to have his hands raised back up, Israel would win again. He was teaching them something through Moses. And Moses gets to a point in his ministry where where God basically says, like, you're not going to talk to the people. Aaron's going to talk to the people. You're going to tell them what I said. Why? Because Aaron had to represent a prophet while Moses still had to represent a God. But to take the promised land, the people didn't need, now don't hear this weird because it could sound weird. They didn't need a God above. They needed someone next to them, right? So that's a shadowing to Jesus. Right, who came and was in the midst, not above. The interesting thing about Joshua is Joshua begins to be, here's how Christians and here's how Israelites should live. Whereas with Moses, it was, here's how Israelites should interact with God. He takes them to a new level. And so when God pulls back Moses, he calls in another man. And after Moses passes away, there's a gap. And in that gap of time, God speaks to his people. This morning, this morning I, I woke up. And a lot of you ever had those mornings where you just, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, everything just hits you in a weird way. And I had a lot of things kind of coming up at me. Um, not necessarily attacks or anything, just realizations, maybe about some of my own shortcomings and maybe about some of the things I'm seeing in the church. Um, William sent me, well, it's the problem, guys. I'm just kidding. Uh, William sent me a video from a thing called The Elephant Room. It's actually really awesome. I've watched through all of them. They're on YouTube now. They used to not be. You should go watch them. They're super cool. Um, it's called The Elephant Room, and basically what it is is it's a bunch of pastors from different denominations and different backgrounds, people who radically disagree with each other, people who, if you look at their crowds, their crowds hate each other, right? I mean, one of them is even a joke. Stephen Furtick was there, and reform people tend to not like him. One of the reform guys is like, yeah, our people hate you, bro. Like, it's just like an awkwardly funny comment because it's like I've seen it, and it really is true. Um, 
And they're sitting there having these really hard conversations. The whole point is like, here are some of the biggest mega church pastors in the country. Their churches are huge. These guys have been in ministry for 15, 20 years, right? And it's just like these powerhouses in the faith or in American Christianity, just powerhouses. And they're talking on these topics. And I watched a video, and the way it's kind of set up is there's a moderator, right, the guy who's running the conference, and it'd be two people with opposing views conversating in front of the crowd. That was the conference. It was actually super cool. But I looked at one of the videos, and there were two people talking, and there was a, the third guy who was moderating, and I looked and I realized all three of these people are out of ministry. All three of these people have fallen away from God. None of these three are pastoring a church in a large capacity like they were at one point. One got removed for alcohol issues. One got removed for being abusive. And another one got removed uh, for also being abusive and actually having recording fistfights with their people and their parishioners and then forcing them to sign non-compete saying you can't tell anyone about this. Um, and, and so I'm looking at that and I'm like, like several years ago, these were like the people. And then now it's just a few years later. Man, when I first found Jesus, one of these guys in particular is the one who explained the gospel to me. And I'm watching and I'm like, Man, I forgot, you're not here anymore. And there were times even in Thomas's life where he wanted to quit. And there was a particular, someone handed a book by this, one of these pastors that really spoke into his life and helped him overcome. And I'm like, man, this guy's not here anymore. And what really stood out to me was that the, the, one of the guys, one of the more abusive ones, literally ended the message by, and it's important we remember, we cannot be fake shepherds. We have to be real and we have to be who we are behind the scenes that we are in front. And that statement didn't age well because of who it came from. And, and I looked at that and I was like, man, this is like the state of the church. Like all these people and a huge handful of them, they're not even here anymore. What, what leads someone to that point? One of the guys... I won't say names just because some of them are coming back in a ministry. I'm not trying to backhand, you know. One of the guys, when he was asked, like, dude, what happened? Uh, he started talking about numbers and how trying to grow his church and get bigger just became overwhelming. And he stopped depending on God and started depending on himself. And that's a really honest answer. And um, I looked at that and I realized he was doing what most of us Christians do. And he was writing a high. And as long as people were coming and as long as we were growing, me and God were good. But if we shrink, if we're not growing like I want us to grow, we're not going to make it. Y'all, I had a, a pastor that we know who, who is in a city, and he is the top one percentile of pastors in the country, meaning his church is in the top one percent of attendances. This guy has thousands of people attending his, his churches. And he admitted, honestly, he deals with depression because the guy who's in the top half percent is up the road. Again, that's honest. And he's like, I'm dealing with these very human emotions, which is real. Like, we don't hide our emotions. Right? I think he's still around. And I think it's because he had that conversation where other people put the conversation in their back pocket and said, no, I'm killing the game. Right? And, and so I look at that and I'm like, we ride these highs to make it. And, and we'll think, okay, I'm just going to rise in ministry then. Or I'm going to rise in my job then. Or I'm called to do this and this. And so as long as I'm making steps to get there, we're good. And I'm awesome. And God is good. And so we ride and we tick, tick, tick up. 
I think I said this last week, but it's really on my heart. And then we just fall, and the fall is bad, and the fall is ugly. And it's like, how did I get here? How are, where are the people around me? Where is everyone? It's like, man, we need to slow down. We need to be willing to be still. Um, this necklace my wife bought me. Um, I don't speak Latin, uh, but it's S.A. Quam Videri, maybe. Uh, it means to be rather than to seem. I asked her to buy it for me because I like the saying, and it's actually a saying that's been sticking with me a lot lately, is I want to be this thing. I don't want to seem like I'm this thing. And it's actually better to be honest and say I'm not this, but I want to be this so people can elevate me there than to pretend. Don't, don't fake it till you make it. <laughs> right? We're honest, and we get walked along, and these things begin to disappear through honesty. Um, and we will talk on trusting through stillness next week. Josh, yeah, can we go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 11? And I'll give you time to find that. Um, if you write notes and you put a topic, um, let's rename the message the beginning of stillness. If you don't take notes, Matt, I really encourage you to take notes. Um, I have it on the best authority that uh, people who take the most notes sit the closest to God in heaven. It's just, I've heard it. I forget what Bible verse it is. Um, I forget, but, you know, just take notes just in case. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm probably not wrong. Um, yeah, you trust me. Um, but, but what we see, and this is, this is what's really interesting. Um, it's a question that I don't think we ask enough, but maybe we should. If you look at people throughout history and throughout the Bible, a question I've asked myself a lot, and it's always helped me see the stories from a different perspective. I've always asked, why them? Like, okay, why did God pick this person? Like, how big is Israel? How many people are there? Why David? Right, and God answers that one pretty easily because he knows the content of his heart, and his heart was genuine. And you look at people like that, and so... Why out of all of Israel, this Joshua, son of Nun, which I know is a hilarious pun uh, because, like, Jesus is the son of Nun, he's the son of God, so there was no father. Um, I don't think that was the intention, because I don't think it translates that well in, in, in Hebrew, but it's funny in English. Uh, Joshua, which literally is Yeshua, so if Jesus was hanging out with us today and he was born in America, his name would have been Joshua, right? Um, Maybe. Um, but why Joshua? And obviously it's up here on the screen. Um, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Uh, and I just want to keep that up. That's going to be our thesis verse for the day. That's going to be our, our title for the day. Um, why did God pick Joshua? I do believe there are people that live their lives in such a way that they ensure that God will do big things with them. 
I mean, obviously, I do hardcore believe in predestination. I absolutely believe that God knows all things from the foundations of the earth and that he does have a plan to prosper us and that we don't get to wiggle out of the plan because God knew where I'd mess up even before I messed up. And so he always knew where I'd end up before I ended up there, right? One of my favorite quotes that's been going on Facebook recently is, uh, God called you knowing you were stupid. And I was like, it's weird because like, that's like weirdly like offensive, but you look at you like, but that's like super encouraging because we all know we have the propensity to do really dumb things sometimes. And God called me knowing that about me. And so that means even that doesn't get me to lose my salvation because God always knew I would do that dumb thing. That's awesome. But I do believe some people live lives that guarantee it. And so the interesting thing about Israel is you ever look in the Bible and the Bible says everyone except Moses stay out of this place, right? We see in, in the place of prayer where God speaks face to face, literally God says this is only for Moses or at least Moses says this is just for me. But Joshua was there. Some people you can't shake, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so what happened is, is the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And I want you to know that actually as a new, believing, as a, a new believer in the New Testament, um, that's our position now. We all are in the position where God will speak to us as a man speaks to a man. And I know that uh, it's probably not, it's, it's a little bit more literal here because God's actually showing up and saying like, hey, how are you? Uh, his voice is probably deeper. I picture lightning and thunder. You know, I picture the whole shebang. Uh, but he was just talking. And with us, there is his word, which I would argue is better in some senses um, because it keeps us all on the same page. Um, but God's within us. He dwells within us, and he's guiding us. And he has, again, a plan for us. But many of us are like the people. And so the Bible says the Lord used to speak to Moses, and then when Moses turned again into the camp. And so what it's saying is God would come, and he would give a message to Moses, and Moses would get up, and he would leave the presence of God, and he would go speak the message to the people. And the reason why Moses had to do this was because the people wouldn't go into the presence of God. If you go backpedal a little farther, when God first made that command, Moses was going up and the people were following him and they stopped and wouldn't follow. And they're like, hey, just go up and tell him, tell us what he said. And so then God says, okay, that's how we'll interact then. And so the reason why people have a distant relationship with God was because they were too afraid to walk into his presence. And so they handed it to another person and they backed off and they said, yo, you got this. I'm gonna wait over here. Um, we do that. I, I know that many of us do that. We're, we don't read our Bible throughout the week. We don't pray, but we come and get a word on a Sunday. And that'll never be enough for you. I promise you, you won't be that person you know God's called you to be if that's the content of your relationship with him. Because that's not a marriage, that's not a friendship, that's not a relationship, that's an acquaintance at best. And I know that God wants better for us. And so really what happened with Joshua is why did God pick Joshua? Who else was he going to pick? Because when Moses left and spoke to the people, only one person was in the presence of God at that point. 
And it wasn't even Moses. It was Joshua. And so when God is going to raise someone up and he's going to say, you, you're going to change the world, who's he going to pick? There are some good options out there. Caleb's out there, right? And for many of you, maybe if you don't know, uh, Caleb's the person, the other person God let go in the promised land, right? He let Joshua and Caleb, everyone else had to, to die, unfortunately, because they wouldn't follow God. But, but Caleb's out there, and God didn't pick him, because the difference between Caleb and Joshua is, Caleb was willing to listen to what God said, but he wasn't hungry, and he didn't sit in the presence all day long. And so there are certain people who will be used by God, but there are people who will change things for God. And those are the people who are hungry for the presence of God. And there are the people who will follow those men because they're the ones that are feeding them. Joshua didn't need the word from Moses to be fed because he already heard it from God. But he still received it from Moses because he wanted to be like Moses. And there was a healthy balance And so when God looks out and he goes, I need someone to lead my people into the promised land that I promised them. I don't think there were options. I think there was just one choice. And it was the one who was already there in the presence of God. If you go to the book of Isaiah, you're good. (laughs) If you go to the book of Isaiah, the Bible says that Isaiah is praying. And the Lord speaks out loud. If you look at the inflection of the Hebrew, it's heavily implied that he wasn't speaking to Isaiah. Isaiah just happened to be there. And God says, my eyes are looking to and fro across the earth. Who can go and do my will? And Isaiah looks up and says, choose me, God. And see, the funny thing about that is if you look at the story, Isaiah was the only one in the presence of God in the whole world because at that point, God was just moving on one spot. And so when God was speaking, oh, who's, you know, like, you ever do that with your kid when you're playing hide and seek or something and a little feet are popping? You're like, where are they? Like, you're talking to them, but clearly, like, you're not talking to them, but it was for them, right? Like, God's having that moment, like, oh, who am I going to send? Knowing the beginning from the end, knowing he was going to send Isaiah, knowing Isaiah was going to speak up, who am I going to send? And Isaiah's like, oh, my God, it's me, right? And he gets so excited, and he speaks up, he goes, here I am, God, send me. But listen, who else was God going to pick? There was only one person in earshot. And we fear stillness because we don't like the pause. But it's the only place where you're going to hear the direction from God. If you look at Samuel, the last judge, the, ra- the man who rose up kings, the man who picked out David, he fell asleep. In the presence of God. He was so hungry for God that he slept. And the Bible said in those days, God had stopped speaking. How still is it when you have two generations of living prophets and both of them tell you, God's never spoken to me before? The answer for most people isn't, I stay in the presence. Because if God's not talking, I shouldn't be here. There's only one place God talks. is that secret place. And so he sits there and he falls asleep. And it has actually been generations. It says in those days God had ceased speaking. And suddenly there's a voice. Samuel. Samuel. And he gets up. And because he was trained and taught, God doesn't talk anymore. He didn't immediately assume it was God. He ran to his mentor and said, you're calling me? Which speaks volumes about 
sometimes God speaks to you through your mentors because God, when God was speaking, what he heard was the voice of his mentor calling his name. Um, and he said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And so he goes back to bed. Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up and goes to his mentor and says, hey, did you call me? And his mentor says, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And I remember first twice or three times, but how I'm going to tell it's going to be three times. Uh, he falls asleep and he says, Samuel, Samuel. And so he gets back up and now he's kind of afraid to go talk to his mentor because he's getting mad at him now. But he comes in anyway and he says, God, did you, did you call my name? And he says, no, stop. If you're hearing something, it could be the voice of God. Listen to me. Here's what he says. The next time you hear that voice, say, yes, Lord, here I am. What are you saying? And so he hears the voice of God call him. My wife's cousin, her name is Solmita, and she's crazy prophetic, right? And something she's done that really impacted me is whenever she gives a prophecy, she always says this, and it's the craziest thing, it's always stuck with me. She pauses and she goes, thank you, God, for speaking to me. And then she gives the word. There's something so beautiful about that, that her ear is always perked up, and it's always an honor. And, and he stops and, he, and then God begins to talk. And Samuel was only there because his mother was in the temple crying. And even the priest said, get out of here. And she wouldn't leave because she needed to hear from God. And so Samuel's a second generation clinging, person who clings to the promise. And when his mom gives birth, she gives him to the temple so that he can be in the presence of God. And what's interesting is both times it's the same man and both times he's harsh and rebuking these two people. I forget, is it Eli? Is that his name? Yeah, Eli, right? First he says to her, you're drunk. And she goes, I am not drunk. I am just crying to God. And he's like, oh, I messed up. God's going to bless you. Get out of here. You know, and then later uh, Samuel's afraid to speak to Eli because Eli is getting mad and slamming him. But here's what we see. Both of these people refused to let a man who hadn't heard the voice of God bring them away from the voice of God. And, and again, I, I'm sorry if I feel like I'm everywhere because I feel like I'm everywhere too because this is not my message at all. Um, but I really feel like the beginning of stillness is I'm going to go in the presence of God and I'm not going to shy away from God because someone's offended me. And I'm not going to shy away from God because I haven't heard him speak in a while. Uh, can, can God do a miracle today even though he hasn't done a miracle in your life in possibly years? Yes, he absolutely can, but what it takes is people who are willing to sit and are willing to stay and are willing to push and are willing to hear what God has to say. And so the beginning of stillness is to find the joy in the stillness. Meditation's a good thing, as long as you're not emptying yourself. There are two forms of meditation. There's a biblical kind and there is a worldly kind. The worldly medication, medication, the <laughs> meditation, uh, the worldly meditation says empty yourself. And I've heard a man say one time, I think it's good advice, uh, the, the enemy will always fill what you empty. And I think that's beautiful. But when, when David says, when David says, I meditate upon your word day and night, that word better translates to study. And so the biblical definition for meditation is I sit on the word of God and I think of his greatness and I think of his beauty. I think of his promises over my situation and I sit on it and I trust him to do it in spite of the fact that the evidence suggests he's not doing anything about it. 
But in stillness, he sits and he fills himself. Jesus had 12, and then he had three, and he had one, right? Um, A lot of churches take that as like this leadership system. And what they'll say is, you should have 12 disciples, three people you're mainly pouring into, but the main one that's going to take over, right? And that is because that's how Jesus did it. Um, Kind of, but... They take it that way because, like, Peter wasn't the one, but he's the one who did a lot. And then John was the one they call the one, and he did a little less than Peter. So like, there's kind of, there's kind of a, a weird look on it. But, but, but those three, Jesus is calling his disciples. And one of the men who would eventually become one of the twelve hears the message. And he runs back and he tells his brother. And he says, come meet the Messiah. It's a bold faith move. (laughs) And so they both go back. And the other disciple says to Jesus, are you the Messiah? And and Jesus begins to talk to him. Basically, what the point that really stands out to me is what Jesus says to him is like, I saw you underneath the fig tree this morning. And he falls to his knees and says, you are the Messiah, or you are the God, or you are, yeah, right? And the thing that's weird is, like, if you look at that at a blanket outing view, you'd say, well, what if you just walked past and saw you sitting under a fig tree? Like, why is that something crazy, and why is that something? A lot of people don't know, but uh, please read this and start to understand it as you read through Scripture. Uh, Oftentimes, the term fig tree was a Jewish idiom for the secret place or presence of God, right? And so what he was saying was, I heard you praying today. He was saying, I'm God. Because when you prayed, you don't know. You're calling out to Yahweh. I am Yahweh. You are calling out to me. And I heard your prayer. And so one of the first disciples who got called and became one of the 12, became one of the 12 because he was sitting in the secret place. And someone found him there and said, come meet the Messiah that you're praying about. If you go and find the stories of Jesus as a baby, there are two separate stories of people who see Jesus and say, I've been waiting for you to come. One woman is a widow who husbands died. That's what a widow is. Um, and he goes and, 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 and so she gives herself to the temple and she says she stays there. And there's another man who has a similar story. And one of them, basically, God says, you'll live until the Messiah comes. And so what these people do, so I think she says something like 40 years. I didn't study hers, but she's been there for many years. So she sat in the God's temple for years until God showed up. She learned to not fear the stillness. And what she got was a visible view of the Messiah. It's this reoccurring concept that we see in Scripture, but we'll miss so often because they're always passing sentences. The reason why they're these passing sentences is because these are things everyone knew. Right? And there are certain things I can say to people in certain contexts, and that when I say it, they'll get the joke, even if I didn't make this big joke. Because they know the context of what I'm saying, right? I'll make jokes all the time to like Isaac or Maxwell. And if like my dad's there or my wife's there, they'll go like, what? Because they don't get the context. Because they're not inundated in the culture, right? Of that particular video game nerd world. And so it doesn't mean anything to them. And so there's sometimes that'll happen to us. And how often 
years pass by in a sentence. And that we see Abraham in faith with God. And then 40 years pass, and Abraham is still strong in the faith with God. 40 years of stillness. And finding joy in stillness. And I think that the fear with that is because I can go up the street and get a palm reading. Prophecy, I'm just kidding. Um, remember we used to call it like the parking lot prophets. We used to call them palm readers as a joke. They get really offended about that. <laughs> yeah, what was it? The hallway hallucinators? The restroom revelators? Uh <laughs> Parking lot, yeah. Parking lot prophets. We just got the whole, the whole thing. Uh, but where, where I can go get a crazy experience, and so I can say, mm, I don't know if this is my church because I like this church up the road because they have the best kids ministry, and I like this church up the road because I think they preach a little better. But this church has a really good community, and I like the way this church does groups. And so what happens is we end up joining all of them a little bit, right? And, we, and we, we're never, we're always moving, and because we're going to all these big moments, we never have to get still with God. And so we travel in these crazy packs, right? And we'll just never learn because, well, this place helps me this way and this place helps me that way. But, but maybe that's not what God's doing in your life right now. Maybe, just maybe, God's telling us to sit down, shut up, and listen to what he has to say. Um, my epic has a song called The Wilderness or In Wilderness. And they have a line in it that I always love. He goes, what are you afraid of? He says, what if you finally put your faith where your mouth is? And I'm like, it's a burn. It kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. <laughs> but it's a good, it's a good, um, what do you, he says, if you got quiet for a moment and finally put your faith with your mouth is, what are you afraid you would hear? And that line burns me a little bit because he's just saying, what if you, be, you were quiet? And what if you didn't fight for things? What if you just sat down and said, God, what are you speaking to me? And what if you did that for several weeks? And what if you did that for several months? And what if you did that for several years? But then at the end of those years or months or weeks, or whenever God finally begins to speak, you step right into something big that you never had to fight for. Because God's going to give to whom God wills. I'm not saying don't study. Actually, I think that's part of your secret place. I think that's part of stillness. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't go out into the city and evangelize. But what I've noticed is some of you who are like super crazy about evangelism, you, I, after talking and interacting, I've interacted and, and, and noticed we use that as a crutch to not have to get along. So if someone receives what I'm praying, then I know me and God are good because I can't quite get alone with him. Um, some of us, don't actually ever get to the place where we pray. We have our time. It's our checkbox. We'll go and we'll pray for 15. We'll pray for 10 minutes. And we'll leave and say, yeah, I prayed for the day. Or, you know, for me, prayer is really in the shower. The average shower is like 15 minutes. Some of y'all are like, what? It's like two hours. The average shower is like 15 minutes. That, if I only wanted to talk to my wife in the shower... She would hate the relationship. 
I think it'd be cool, but she would hate the relationship, right? There, there needs to be, hi, she came in just in time. Um, <laughs> but it was weird. One time someone said that, that what if you said to your wife, I'm not going to talk to you all week. I'm not going to talk to you on Saturday, but on Sunday I'm going to give you an hour and a half and you better blow my mind. How would that relationship be? I was like, it'd be like, it'd be like my relationship with God where I spent all week feeling like we're not really anything and that one day feeling great for an hour and some change. Um, and what, what happened was I began to put my relationship with God in that kind of bubble. And would my wife be okay with this time with her? Would my wife be okay if this was the only time I spent with her today? Would my wife be okay <laughs> if we talked or ate dinner for an hour and that's the only time we interact with each other for the day? Unfortunately, I think that is some of our relationship with our spouses. But, or friends, or significant others, or people we hope to be with someday. Um, When I was sitting in the shower this morning, because, you know, shower bath TM, uh, bringing that joke back, um, really thinking on this topic, I, I pulled up my phone. Yeah, I was in the shower. Don't, don't judge me. My wife. I was looking at a Bible verse. Calm down. Um, and I, I, I was looking through, and I, I saw another mega church pastor. And if I said their name, I'm pretty sure like 90% of you know who it is, because I've had talks with a lot of you about this person. It came out they were cheating on their wife. Not cool. And, um, and, and that someone had given them a church, and then now the people who give them the church are coming back trying to take it back, and they're both over giant megachurches, and they're fighting over the property and the land. There's lawsuits getting involved. And I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, how do we get here? And it's heartbreaking, I think. <laughs> because the fruit of the Spirit dictates that when God comes in, things change. But things aren't changing. And I'm not saying people aren't saved. What I'm saying is I think we come to God, we call it faith. But really what it is, is I'm working things out on my own, and I'm putting hashtag Jesus over it. Many of us are doing things in our own strength and calling it God. Because we can't be still. Years ago, someone was going through something, and I told them, go pray. Just go pray, and call me in one hour. And tell me how you feel. This person calls me back and says, I feel so great. And I was like, well, good. Secret place must be good. He's like, yeah, I prayed for like 10 minutes. And then God told me to walk down to the store. And when I walked down to the store, I was praying for people and, and all this stuff. And I was like, no, I'm unimpressed. You couldn't just pray. You had to go do something. 
You had to go work to feel like you're good with God. When did prayer stop being enough? I think that's a good question to ask. I was watching one of my favorite preachers recently. And, and this person was talking, and, and he was like, yeah, I was interacting with some people. And he goes, I think historically the answer for the church has been, hey, just go pray. And he's like, I think we need to do more than that. And I was like, no. And that was like one of the few times I've disagreed with this person. I'm like, no, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Whenever Jesus had his hardest moments, he always prayed. And then he got up and did what God called him to do. He... Peter and John are in the garden together. James is there too, but for some reason he wasn't important to this story. Um, and, and these Roman guards come. And they say, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, I am he. And they all fall out. Just fall out under the presence of God. So they gather back together like that didn't work too well. Hey, we're looking for Jesus. Yeah, I'm him. Boom, out again. The disciples are watching this. What Jesus is teaching them is they can't take me right now. And they come a third time and Jesus lets them take him. No one took Jesus. Jesus went. And in the middle of that, Peter, who's right next to Jesus, who just saw Jesus slamming people with a phrase, which, that's awesome, slam, just literally dropping people just by saying, I am he. And it's like, what is happening? If I'm a disciple, I'm like, what is happening right now, right? And, and so Peter, this is his time to shine. He pulls out a sword. I got you, Jesus. See, this time you messed up. You forgot to say the magic word, but I got your back, right? <laughs> and he takes a swing, cuts off the guy's ear. Go study what the importance of an ear is to the priest. It's a crazy biblical thing Peter was doing. Jesus picks the ear up and heals it. And basically, says that he says to Peter, you don't know what spirit you're of. Remember earlier, before that, the disciples are together, and Jesus says, things are going to be divided. He says, have your sword. And they say, God, we only have two. And Jesus pretty sarcastically goes, that's enough. <laughs> right? We're going to go take, take this world. We have two swords. That's enough. Because what he's telling them is that the sword's not the important part. So have your two swords, which is funny, because I bet you that's one of the swords Peter used. Just like, this is what the sword was for, right? Like, held on to it for three years and was like, this is my moment. And then for three years, he's had like that, just like deified the sword. Like, this is the sword. It's going to wreck everything. The magic sword. And when he pulls it out, Jesus is like, yeah, you missed that one, bro. Right? And so he missed it. And, and, and he cuts it off. And then when Jesus heals the ear, Before he heals the ear, he gets kissed on the cheek by Judas, a kiss of betrayal. 
Interesting thing about the New Testament, you only see Jesus get kissed twice. One person kisses Jesus' feet in servitude, and the other kisses his face in betrayal. It's really interesting. <laughs> I think there's a beautiful picture there. Just this, the kiss of recognition, the kiss of we know each other versus the kiss of submission. Um, they take Jesus away, and the Bible says the sheep were scattered. That's that sign for the disciples dipped. And if you read the book of Mark, for no reason, I think it's Mark, just this is a side tangent, forgive me. The book of Mark, it says, and thus... Some kid ran away naked, and you're like, how do we get here? <laughs> right, like, how did this moment, like, why is there a random naked person that's in no other one of the Gospels? So a lot of people think that's Mark, and he added himself in the story. Just like, this is my time to shine. I'm the naked guy. Um, which, more power to you. Um, and so, Peter and John, they run but they like do like a, a runaway where they like, they, everyone actually dips, but they like circle back to go see Jesus and to go help out Jesus because really, I don't know where James was, <laughs> you know, because he's one of the three, but he's off somewhere. Um, but <laughs> the, other, the other two, they're, they're there and they're with him and they're on it, right? This week, Thomas was moving and I came and helped him move, kind of. Uh, I came towards the end, had some Taco Bell, Kept joking about how, thanks for the Taco Bell, I'm going to leave before I had moved any boxes or anything. And they didn't believe me, and so the, I actually had to leave to prove a point. I came back, though. Um, but I did that, like what Peter and John did. I got my car, I turned on the lights, I actually dipped off, and I circled the whole neighborhood. And he texted me, he's like, bro, did you actually leave? And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm gone, you didn't believe me. And then, but then I came back, right, like, and I just like poked back in. Right, and so that's what they're doing, right? They're, they're, they, they dipped around, threw everyone off, and they're following Jesus. And they're following and then the Bible says they get to the temple, right? And so John and Peter are at the gates of the temple. And the door is blocked. So John says, yo, let him in. And this is my boy Peter. We're coming in together. And so the two go in, right? And the Bible teaches us that John stayed foot to foot with Jesus. He wasn't afraid to be seen with Jesus. But it says that Peter followed at a distance, and so they're both following together, but at some point, Peter begins to lose his nerve. But John gets more committed. Right? It's interesting the Bible says that all the sheep are going to scatter, but at the foot of the cross, John's standing there. John wasn't afraid of the cross. I've heard before it said, and I think it's a beautiful sentiment, that John was the only disciple that wasn't martyred, but he's also the only disciple that was at the cross with Christ. That he came there, took, he already came to the cross and was willing to die. And so it seems almost like that, therefore, God didn't require it of him. Which is a cool concept, right? But again, who didn't he require it from? The one who stayed in the presence, right? Just going back to Joshua, the one who stayed when everyone else left. And so we're running, and Peter starts to back up, and people start saying, Oh, do you know Jesus? And he's like, No, I don't know Jesus. And like, You know Jesus? Well, says Peter cursed at this child. So literally, it was just like, You know, Ev, no, I don't know Jesus. And it's like, Yo, chill, like, I'm, I'm five. Like, it's, it literally says like a little girl, right? And they're, they're standing, <laughs> and, and, and he denies Jesus three times. And the Bible says that when he denies Jesus the third time, Jesus looks up and locks eyes with him. And Peter leaves weeping. If you actually look at that story a little farther, 
The Bible says at one point that Jesus got palmed. And when they, palming is, right, so it's just like a hard hit to the face. Um, Peter's right there. But he doesn't have the courage to do anything this time. What's the difference between Peter in the garden and Peter here? In the garden, he was close to Jesus. Here at this point, there's a distance. And when he let distance between him and the presence of God happen, he was unwilling to do the things he was once willing to do. And I think many of us, we lose our passion and we lose our fire and we wane for the things of God. And for people who look, man, I'm just having a hard time being passionate for God. It's like, what you're telling me is, I don't pray anymore. Because prayer warriors are passionate. They just are. And we lose that fire when we begin to stop praying. And so John does something valuable. He stays in the presence of Jesus. And he's willing to go through all the persecution. Every person that said something to Peter didn't have time to say anything to John. Because he was busy staying in the presence of Jesus, right? And we see him walking. We see him at the foot of the cross. And Peter, where is Peter? Peter is gone. The one who says, I'll die with you is gone. But John's there. And he's standing at the presence of God, and Jesus only spoke seven sentences from the cross. He only spoke seven times from the cross, and one of them was to address John. And what he said to John was, watch my mother. Jesus was the oldest son, obviously. Virgin Mary. Then she had kids. Works out. It works. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> Because um, then she was not a virgin after that and had more children. Um, he has siblings. He has Jude. He has James. It's their job by law to take care of Mary. But Jesus didn't trust them. He didn't trust them with this task because they didn't believe in him and they weren't in his presence. And he knew his mom not only needed to be provided for, but she needed to be pointed in the right direction. Mother, behold your child. And child, behold your mother. What's he saying to John? Welcome to the family. And that came from the presence of Jesus. And and, and next week, for the next three messages, or four technically, because we're going to stop for a Christmas message. Um, these messages are a lot more mapped out. I've actually studied into them. But I want to encourage you for this week. I see stagnation. I see pain. I see struggles and I see hurts in a lot of us. And unfortunately, there's no flashy thing to say besides that. Maybe it's time to get to know Jesus for real. Not on the level of I've done church after church after church, but the second I get offended, I won't talk to that person anymore. Or I'll leave their ministry, right? I'll leave their church because I'm offended with these people. Or maybe it happens here. And then we got people. There's like 50 people in the room, right? So like if there's offense, it's like it's going to stand out, right? And so then, what is that translating to? It's translating to, yeah, I know it, but I don't know it. I'm aware of it, but I want to actually live this thing out. And so I want to point.
point you back to the presence of Jesus. Where you'll get the courage, like John, to do the things you were too afraid to do. And this is America. We don't need courage to stand up in a riot. We do it all the time. It's so politically correct now to riot. But what's hard is to look someone in the eyes and say, I forgive you. No, what's even harder is to look someone in the eyes and say, will you forgive me? And even though you want to tell them I forgive you, to shut your trap because that's only going to add more offense to them. And just come with the heart of, I'm not here for you to know that I'm mad at you too. I'm just here. Will you forgive me? That's harder. But you only get that courage when you're alone with God because when you get on your knees and you just sit there with God, I'm telling you, things become so clear. I get confused often. I doubt my call regularly. I lose track of what God's calling me to do next all the time. But whenever I get on my knees, suddenly it clears up. Like a lighthouse out at sea. It's just, I know exactly my direction now. But when we tell someone, hey, I think your problem is you're not praying. People go, oh, yeah, and they go and they don't pray. And they'll just tell someone else about their problem. Hunger for this. Thirst for this. Trust me, it's worth it. Don't grow weary in the stillness. The stillness is where beautiful things happen. The stillness is where I finally get to hear God clearly. Again, I think so many of us, our interaction with God is, I'm in need, show up. Or I've been bad, help me feel better. And if it's not one of those moments, there's no relationship. But I want to welcome you to something greater. A place where God's real to you. A place where you believe in a God that speaks to you. And a God whose word will actually guide your life. And a God who actually has a plan to prosper you. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 6. Uh, keep in mind, I'm going to read this verse again next week. And it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Pause real quick. When people, how often has that verse been quoted to you? And then God goes on to define faith. See, faith isn't just the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is someone who believes that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And I think many people in this room have a faith in a God who is real, who is there, and who is above but he's not going to reward or bless me. And the Bible says if you believe in a God at a distance, that's not faith. Right? And there's something so important to that. Because every month we doubt, will God show up for this rent check? Will I be able to buy Christmas presents this year? Maybe not. But he's still going to show up to you in some way, to some capacity. I've heard 
story after story of God showing up in a way I didn't expect, right? I wanted the detergent. I wanted the money to buy detergent to wash my kids' clothes. I heard a woman talk about this one time. And someone came by handing out free detergent samples, right? So instead of getting the cash to go by, God showed up in a different way, right? But, but, but God will show up, and God will be there, and God does love you. But what it takes is more than I believe that God exists. It takes stepping into something more and something bigger because you can't say you believe in Yahweh because here's the secret about Yahweh. Yahweh is a personal God. And so if you won't be personal with him, you're not walking in faith with him. The door is open. I say this all the time. The book of Acts says that heaven's opened up and there's nowhere else in the Bible where it closes. It just stayed open. The problem is people translate that to now money's going to pour from heaven. That's not what's going to happen. But what is going to happen is the presence and fullness of God will fill a people and that's you and that's me. Separately, we will still be filled. But together, God will do something great. We just can't be afraid of the stillness. Every major move was prefaced by stillness. Every major movement in your life, some of you feel, hey, I feel called to be a pastor. That's going to be years of stillness, of learning, of growing, of being developed. I feel called to be a CEO over a business. You don't just bomb and make a big business. You learn and you disciple and you make your mistakes and you have your problems and you do those things that you shouldn't have done, but you do it in a setting where it's actually okay and so that you begin to become the thing that you want to be. There was stillness that led to success. You won't meet any successful person in your life. Go to any person that you want to be like. They don't even have to be Christian. And let's say, tell me about the years you toiled before you got here. And every single one of them will have a story of years of pushing. Because stillness is the pivotal part to any human's experience. But we're fighting against it. And now our attention span is seven seconds. When God's calling us into his presence daily. God's prayer life with you won't be like a vine. It won't be like an Instagram story, right? It's going to actually be something amazing. The only reason why those live-action Transformers movies were successful is because there was an explosion every two seconds. The story sucked. The acting was terrible. But there was an explosion every two seconds. And so we sat through three hours, right? Because it's just the boom. It's the, it's the high. It's the greatness. And I watch those movies and I'm like, what is happening right now? There's a point in the new Transformers movie where they have to fly up onto this big area and they can't fly up there. And so they're like, we have to go get a ship and we're going to fly up. And at the end of the movie, for no reason, Optimus Prime has jets on his feet and flies away. And like an hour ago, we couldn't fly. What happened? Oh, sorry, guys. What are we talking about? I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but it's these big explosions. We'll check our brain at the door. And as long as my brain gets filled with the chemicals that make me feel those highs from the explosions, I'll sit through whatever crap you throw at me. And so we've turned church into that. I want numbers. I want attendance. I want people. So here's a loud sermon. Here's a boom. Here's a great story. I'm going to make you laugh. Here's the best worship ever. We're going to open up and we're going to play Highway to Hell, right? Whatever gets you guys in the door. And we're going to come and we're going to have a great time. And someone's going to come and give me a word. Because if I don't get a word from someone specifically, I'm going to feel left out. And so I start to pinpoint people. And I start to give words to specific people so you feel relevant. And those of you who didn't get a word go, maybe next week I'll get a word. And it just creates this thing that keeps us coming back for every reason except Jesus. I don't want Boulevard to be that way. I want us to grow because there are people hungry for the presence of God. 
I know this church will grow because people who hunger for the presence of God, they'll naturally evangelize. But evangelists don't always naturally go to the presence of God. So if we steamline everything to get into his presence and know a personal God, this will blow up by proxy of the fact that God always looks to those who are already in his presence to do big things. And he looks to churches that are already in his presence to do big things. Contrary to popular belief, there was no revival that started with one person praying in a room by himself. I hear those stories all the time. There was one man who was praying in a room by himself. And then his friends began to support him and go into that room with him. And, and, then, and then a group of people got together and they started going into that room together. And then a city started going into that room together. And then you'll see these kind of big movements happen. But it's only possible when a group of people fall madly in love with Jesus and Jesus alone. I say this a lot, but I want this to really get... If you love Jesus and you follow Jesus, but the second your rent check doesn't get paid, you doubt Jesus then you weren't in it for Jesus. You were in it for a rent check. Because the only true thing the Bible promises you is the presence of God. Now, because of the presence of God, I trust God will move on my behalf. But when it doesn't happen, and can I be honest, it doesn't happen a lot, it doesn't shake me because I was never here for that thing anyway. this joke today but I'm going to say it for real Jesus right this is from Judah Smith receive it Jesus plus nothing is the answer to humankind not Jesus plus a good worship band because trust me if y'all heard me sing it's bad and yet when I sang with that real bad tone and that bad key and I couldn't do anything with the, with the, the youth and young adult team with the guitar, people would fall out in the spirit and God would move. And the thing began to blow up and it really began to grow. And there was no worship team. There was no worship band. There was no one crazy. There was no one amazing. There was me with a guitar and God moved in that. And I would tell people all the time, if you want the worship to sound good, you better sing because I can't make it sound good. And what we did was we forced people into the concept of, well, I guess I'll have to do it. We started doing it. Enjoy the stillness. Pretty sure my time went up a while ago. I just rambled for an hour. That's awesome. That's how you grow a church. Um, we'll get back on track next week. Forgive me. But I... If I came up on this stage... And every Sunday for the rest of my life, I just preached, get into the presence of God. You would never miss a topic in your life if you began to apply it. Sunday sermons rarely impacted me, if I could be honest, as a Christian. They would get me thinking, but they rarely impacted me. It was the things I did because of the sermon that impacted me. I don't remember what I preached three weeks ago. Statistically, neither do you. <laughs> Some of you might. But, but we'll stay because people love us. And we'll stay because people are praying for us. And we'll stay because we've decided, 
I'm not in this provided God moves how I want him to move. I'm in this because this is where God told me to be, and I will sit in his presence for all of my days. Listen, when Jesus Christ came and saved you, he did enough. And if he never did anything for you again the rest of your life, it was over and abundantly what we deserved. And yet he does more. I looked at this crazy revelation about my son the other day, and get used to those. That's going to come. They're going to be like every sermon for like the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I was looking at him, and he was being a punk in my arms. And I was like, and my wife, my wife looked at him while he was crying and being a punk. She started crying. And she's like, I just love him so much. And I was like, this kid has added nothing to our lives. He has only made our bills higher. He has only, yeah, right, he has only made our sleep worse. He's only made it harder to study, he, right? And yet, I love him so much, and I will do anything for him. That is legitimately how God sees us. You don't add to God. You don't make him better. But he loves you so fully, and he wants you in his presence. I would love more stillness with my son but he keeps doing stuff, right? <laughs> so I just, God feels the same way, right? But I looked at him, and what I realized is I'm like looking at my son and realizing how much I love him. I was like, he can't even understand love to the level that I love him. The way that I love him is literally unfathomable to his mind. It isn't mature enough. It isn't grown enough. It doesn't have enough understanding to receive the love I have for him. That is how God sees you. You can't fathom how much he loves you. You're still just but an infant. He calls you his children. And the Bible says that you'll see and understand the fullness when he comes back. Because we'll experience it. But for now, we experience it as if looking through a pane glass window. As if looking through something foggy, right? Not because the fullness isn't with us. But because we can't comprehend how full the fullness is. I love what Elder Popple says. He talks to, I think, he took it some minister, I think, but the reason why the angels day and night are crying, holy, 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 is because they fall to their face and they get back up and they look at him and they fall on their face again. But every time they're seeing God, they're getting a new revelation of who he is because God's eternal, he's continuing, he's, he's always going. So even if we spend the rest of all of eternity with him, we'll never see totally the fullness because God is so big, Right? And that's how his love is for you. I, I, I used to laugh with the young adults all the time because I would tell them, you need to understand how God works. If God spoke right now, the sky was blue. He, okay, let's try that again. If God spoke right now, the sky is green. The sky would turn green. But here's the crazy thing about the fullness of God. When he said that, it would have suddenly become that it was always green. And in all of your memories, the sun would be green. Because when he speaks, it is just truth. And so when he says he loves you and he has a plan to prosper you, it is just truth. Jesus was crucified from the foundations of the earth, meaning even before Adam and Eve were running through the garden, the cross was already in the mind of God. Because God knew the second he said, hey, you guys get to have this. He knew we would mess it up. People take that negative and say, how could he be loving if he did that? No, take it positive and think of the fact that he so wanted a relationship with you that he was going to experience the cross. And he always knew. He always knew. Think of yourself. 
God always knew from the beginning of time that he would experience the cross for you. By name. By face. By story. By testimony. And he was always going to bring you to where you are now. And he was always going to bring you past where you are now into something greater. Just go be there. Our worship team left. This would be a great time to go into worship. But instead, we'll break into groups. And just talk about how good God's been to you. And here's why that's beautiful. Because for some of you, this week's been really rough. And it never hurts to be reminded how good God has been to you. Because this week isn't your next week. And it wasn't your last week. I saw a picture online. I don't know if you guys have seen Lord of the Rings. Where Boromir got shot with three arrows. And then the next guy is about to shoot him for the fourth time. And the three arrows in him say 2017, 2018, and 2019. And then the orc is pulling his bow and it says 2020. Like, like 2020 is going to hit you in the face too. Um, for some people, that's like really is how it's been. But God is using that to build you into the, listen, into the thing you want to be. Man, when you close your eyes, I don't know very many people that close their eyes and they want to be something terrible. And even the people who want to be something terrible, they still see a great ideal in it. I was talking to my little brother, Sterling, and we were talking about finances, and I was telling him, like, you don't need to be rich if you're going to be unhappy. Like, do something you want to do with your life. And I was telling him story after story, kind of like what I did last week, of all the billionaires who were depressed. And my brother looked at me, and he said, I'm going to be the first happy billionaire. And I was like, no, you're not. Like, that's not how it works. Like, um, <laughs> but but the, the point with that is... Makes me happy. I just look at it like it's just it's in one ear out the other. God's gonna move. God's gonna love you. Um, God is gonna get you where He wants to get you. Flush your dream and go into the presence of Jesus, and find that your dream comes back better than you could have ever perceived it, or find that it changes to something bigger. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we empty of all other things. And in stillness, God begins to guide us in a better direction. When the Bible says more than you can ask, think, or imagine, that's not an exaggeration. My wife and I were just laughing. Even this church, like, if six months ago someone told us we were going to be leading this church, I would not have believed them. I literally would have been like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But here we are. And that could be anyone's story. But that story will only be built and only be written through stillness. Um, start to speak life to yourself. Stop telling yourself you suck. Because we all know that already. <laughs> right? Let's speak something better. What you speak over yourself, you'll become. What you believe, you'll do. The people you surround yourself with, you'll end up like. Honestly, some of y'all need to upgrade. <laughs> you know? Back to the seed culture and how it's going to grow is wildly dependent on the culture you set it in. And what I want for this church is a culture of people who believe 
things are going to grow, that God is going to move, that big things are going to happen, but all tempered with the truth that in God's time, in God's will, and by God's design. We're not going to force these things. They're going to just happen. But on the same note, I'll only let people lead in this church who believe God really will do those things. And so there's that balance of trust and faith. There's that balance of of passion and ideas and passion and faith and hope. Um, Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for everyone in this room. Um, I pray that just your will will be done in their lives. That God, we would not fear stillness, but the beginning of stillness would be something beautiful. And it would be just us finding a desire to be in your presence. To not live from moment to moment, but enjoy the whole process, Father God. Enjoy the fullness of your presence, God. And to learn that even this struggle and even this moment and even these trials, Father God, that you're in the midst of these as well. And God, I thank you for opportunities to see you in new ways, to understand your word deeper through our experiences, Father God. That God, you would build our character through these times, God. And our character would be men and women who hunger and thirst for you and you alone. And we really would believe that you are simply enough for me. That by you I can live, and by you I can breathe, and by you I can make wise decisions. And by you, Father God, we would see careers begin to form. Businesses begin to be planted. Ministries begin to form. Leaders begin to rise up. That trust in you above all else. I pray for the individual in this room, every single one who's going through it right now. And just need to know that you love them. And I pray you would draw them in stillness to your beauty and grace. And in Jesus' name I say, amen.